Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Jonathan isn't with us because he's trying to get into Disney World. This is Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast, where we take you out, you know, we throw you into the wilderness, we don't give you anything, and we say, isn't this fun? And you're like, well, not really. And so we have to figure out ways to make wilderness travel fun. And we were supposed to get this artifact axe you know that the dragon was 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 controlling it okay and so uh uh we uh so when we saw the dragon we said okay what's going to happen here and and we said look he says you know we've got x number of potions of heroism which will raise us temporarily up to third level so we won't turn and flee in front of the dragon because first edition dragons they had this aura that would cause anybody below a certain level just to run away yeah, it's like the frightful presence in OGL Dragons now. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another group of people, we have these potions of polymorph. They're going to turn themselves into jackrabbits, and they're going to race over past uh, you know, past the dragon, under the dragon, around the dragon, because they're so small that they can go through the dragon space, and he can't stop them. Okay, And then when they get on the other side, they're supposed to go and turn back into... Uh, what they're what they are you know and grab the axe okay um and then the third group we're going to get all the potions of uh, uh of that we had a fire resistance and extra you know resi- resistance and all the blessings and things like that and they were going to directly engage the dragon all right so with us first level pushed up to third level potions of, of, of extra healing who were just basically there to take a hit okay we all expected to die said <laughs> i mean the you know the low level guys the us first levels thought we were all going to die okay because all it would take would be one dragon breath and yep. it would be it right you know so we were just kind of hoping that he was going to be looking a different direction not at us you know maybe because we didn't think we were going to be able to do any damage to him you know while the guys that were a little bit stronger would actually do damage to him. He might breathe on them and not pay any attention to us, which is okay by us. All right. So the moment came, we did all the stuff like that. We zoomed out, ran out there screaming, you know, expecting to die gloriously, all that stuff like that. And the, uh, one of the fighters goes with it, swings his two handed sword against the ancient red dragon, rolls a crit. Okay. Natural twenty, and then okay. they had the uh, the the critical hits and terrible misses page from Dragon Magazine. Or, okay, and he rolls again, gets double odd, cuts off the head. Basically, he decapitates this ancient red dragon right in the middle of the battle, like the second round. We of course are ecstatic. We're like thrilled. Oh you know, yeah. 
because because we now have on we now have access to the dragon's horde. I mean, obviously the guys, certain people just go over and say, "Give me that axe," and then they just leave. That's all they wanted. Okay, yeah. the rest of us were like, you know, getting stuff and stuff in our pockets or whatever. Couldn't carry but a tiny portion of it, you know. And but we got some stuff and we left. And then that's how that character got to be third level. <laughs> And I will tell you about the bad things that happened to him at third level. Okay, all right. Okay. Folks, that's a story for another time. That's a story for another time. That character went through so many bad things, you know. You know, that's what happens when you and see, I'm kind of selling the wrong thing here. I'm saying, isn't it awesome that we did that? We were all expecting to die. Okay, the fact that somebody managed to roll a natural 20 followed by double zeros, okay, is just you know, that's just nutsy lucky. Yeah. Okay. We all should have died. We were expecting to roll up new characters for the next week, but we were going to go out in a blaze of glory trying to complete this quest. And maybe somebody actually would be able to complete the quest, grab the, grab the, the, you know, the hammer, the, the, uh, the dwarven axe, whatever it was. Okay. And, you know, jump through the portal, get back to the prime material world. We're in, and the rest of us were just going to be dead, okay? And I was perfectly fine with that because, you know, I was playing a first-level character. I'd already, you know, this was like this was my second first-level character. You'd the resign first one, the character to its The first fate. one had already died. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> okay, so this is my second one. I was like, okay, I guess this one's going to die too. All right, so... But I'm, you know, what I'm I'm trying to say here is is that, you know, you're I agree with you, Travis. Uh, Trav. You know, that that's not, that's not good game design, okay? That's... You know, the, uh, and of course, in a mixed party, this is it's horrendous because you know we, we we had all these disposable characters that were all you know, everybody. Some of these people were were considerably higher level than us, and we were like, well, we're just bringing the highest level character we have, which is the first character level character we have. And nobody in those days was rolling up high level characters as their first character. Right. They, everybody had to start at first and earn their levels. Yep. <laughs> so. Anyways, it's uh, not so good, but uh, that's why I d did that whole thing there with the time passing. Like I said, so they, so the, the, you know, the GM could could then go and say, "All right, you've done all this research and all this stuff. Listen to the rumors. This sounds like an adventure that you can go on and succeed. So that's what we're going to do in the next, you know, in this session." And they're all like, yeah, we're on board. You know, and I didn't have to explain everything about it. You know, I, I did give them some information about it. But, you know, it was more the fact that, you know, they, they, they felt that their characters were prepared. Not necessarily them as players. But they felt their characters were prepared, you know, to be able to do this and succeed. You know, and, you know, and they, they'd had a, a busy full year doing stuff. Unless, of course, you were just literally one of those players that said, I don't care. Just tell me what the next game is. And oh, do, yeah. you know, but I was still enforcing this year on them because I said it still doesn't make sense for you not for this time. You know, I'm not going to roll separate adventures for you for the next year. You know, because you know you're. That's just the way it is. You know, I don't have time for that. You know, you know. Uh, and everybody, everybody basically bought into it and it worked. So you know that's that's why I did it. I. St uh, once we got to third level, I mean, I'm third edition, where all of a sudden you know, you you didn't have to pay for training, you didn't have to have someone train you. You just got to you just got to your next level, bang, you were the next level. Well, 
Well, they they assume that the GM is just going to say, okay, in the month and this time. Yeah, they, they just sort of write it. It in. didn't it, say it in the book. Otherwise, they would have enforced it. Well, yeah, just it, they probably just figured by third edition it was along the lines of, okay, your GM is going to sit there and say, okay, in the time in between the last adventure, you've done some training, you've got a little better, you know, something like that, you know, just, yeah. well, what happened was, is, you know, what really happened was, is that you went from first level to 20th level in a year, in a year of game time. Mm, okay. That, that would have been 20 adventures in my first edition campaign. Yeah. And so, and so people that started off as feckless use would now be parents and uh, feeling feeling the uh, the the years of of uh, adventuring weighing on their bones, and it'd be like maybe it's time for me to pass this torch on to you know one of the youngsters if you're playing a human, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or or any of the not long lived races. Of course, the elves are like, eh, you know. I'm just bored. Yeah. Young Uncle Bob is always going to be young Uncle Bob. Yeah, if you're an elf, that was always one of that was always one of the things I loved about having long lived races, and then you had humans. You could sit there and do the thing of with an elf or a dwarf, or even maybe a gnome, where this gnome has known your family for generations, and it's that line from Star Trek Generations. Use don't talk to me about saving the kingdom. I was out saving the kingdom when your grandfather, when I diapered his bottom, sit down and shut up. Yeah, <laughs> just, just uh, that. I kind of like that with having elves and dwarves in that type of scenario. Where, no, I taught your great grandfather, your grandfather, your father. I'm now teaching you. Yeah, and you were all pains in my butt. Yeah, <laughs> it just I've 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 done that in a campaign where I've had the the long lived person and it gives a sense of continuity for you know whatever spinoff campaign i do is like yeah this elf is here and he's helping you out he's now your patron he grant he you know did this with your great-grandfather now he's helping you out it's a sort of a familial honor thing expect a lot of crap about your family line from this guy yeah so yeah right so you know and and i was all for that and uh and and you know my and because we had a bunch of humans being played uh, we actually did that. Where we actually did manage to pass off some, uh, some, you know, as they say, twinked out some some first level characters. You know, with some with dad and mom's, you know, uh, you know, you know, dad's armor and uh, mom's cloak of protection. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And uh, you know, so they started off much more powerful than they would have been uh, if they hadn't been the children of adventurers, which I thought was perfectly fine. I was willing to do that, and then. You know, we, we did get into some mixed, you know, um, uh, uh, groups at that point because they were basically first levels. The kids were first level, and the and the and the, the other characters were high, much higher level. You know, and you've got to give these kids spotlight time, or they're never going to get earn any experience. Yeah. You know, you can't just jump in and kill the dragon, <laughs> or you know, the small dragon, the young dragon. Okay, you know, even though we know you can. Yeah. So, anyways, but that's that's a whole other story here. Like I said, the the sense of time I tried to build in, but like I said, I'm not sure that anybody besides me cares about that. You know, I, I I'll leave that to the GMs to hopefully comment back to us and players on the uh, on our boards. 
uh, just say you know whether they like that idea or not, or whether they think it's a, it, it matters, uh, because uh, uh, I, I think from a, a sense of drama it matters, but from the sense of of uh, how much you have limited amount of playtime, do you really want to spend that doing things like that, where when you could be getting to these big set pieces yeah. that you're you're really there to do, relegated to a cutscene, yeah, yeah. As they, as they say in the new games, yeah. Anyways, uh, I, I do highly believe that uh, there sh should not be any random encounters in the wilderness. Uh, they should be built ahead to make sure that you don't suddenly, just because you roll 25 hill, hill giants, <laughs> you don't actually send 25 hill giants against your players unless you really want to, you know. Uh, and I've made that mistake too, where I've run into big monsters. I've rolled up big monsters and thrown them at the players, thinking they would run away, and they didn't. <laughs> and we had TBKs. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, I'm just saying is it, it don't. Uh, and, and the thing is, is that if you do get in that kind of situation, what happens is that you know suddenly it's like, oh, you know, I'm rolling the d6. If I roll a six. You know, then we have an encounter. Oh, I rolled a six. All right. Let me, everybody, hold up. Get out the books. Start rolling the dice. Start rolling for the monsters. Start rolling for their treasure. Start rolling some random things there. After you've now spent, what, 20 minutes, if you're lucky? Yeah. You know, coming up with that. Okay, you know, then then you can call the play, get the players out of their 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 uh, off of Facebook or whatever else they might be in, and try to get them reengaged in the game. Yeah, you know, and and do that. Better right if you you know if you really have a random situation that you had no control over. For example, we we use the drama decks, you know, in our our games. So someone might very well pull out a card and says this happens because they think it's funny. You know they they're doing it for S and Gs. You yeah. know, and they decide you know they're they're bored. They're they're they're, they're the players bored. You know, so the player says, okay, you know, I, I'm going to do this. You know, and uh, all of a sudden this encounter happens, and then you and so you're stuck. Okay, you don't have a set encounter. He just described the encounter, so you're going to have to look it up. And then so what you do instead is you say, okay, here's the first round of combat. Let's do it. And this is all right now. Everybody take a break. I'm going to go and finish back you know fleshing out these characters and then we'll pick up where we left off so at least they're engaged in in the encounter and they're thinking about the encounter and they're thinking about they're maybe talking to each other about the encounter rather than literally just being you know totally you know, let's go order pizza you know let's whatever you know uh, oh look at the time i gotta go yeah <laughs> It happens, okay. So what I'm saying is, as the as the GM, you're kind of uh, it's kind of your job to make sure that you give them a reason to come back to the table and be invested. So these are these are some techniques, you know. Like I said, uh, uh, dro uh, drop them basically in uh, uh, in media res into the encounter uh, after it's been described by the other players or you know, whatever. Uh, or it, you know, but if you if you do want them to do it, uh, have that 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 quote random encounter. Have it not be a random encounter. Instead, be like a collection of encounters that you've already fleshed out. You have them ready. So when you say it, you're ready to go. 
and they're the ones scrambling to get their act together as the monsters are closing in about them. Yeah, the random encounters for the characters. All of a sudden, we turn around this rock, and yeah, we see about 50 feet down the way a bear there messing with something. Okay, yeah. it It's... I, I just really find that where you're rolling in the middle of a game, it just so stops the flow. And just, yeah, it, 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 what is the term? Suspension of disbelief goes out the window because they come back to the real world and it's like, okay, he's got to do this. And in the end, if, if a GM does this, a lot of players may end up being, okay, this guy doesn't have his act together here. This is stuff he should have plotted out and said, oh, yeah, I'm going to throw a bear, a pack of wolves, and, oh, a dryad at you on the trip in this massive wilderness between cities, you know. Yeah. And you might roll a dice to see which one shows up. but you Right, know, yeah, yeah. You're, but I, you're but, ready, okay. What you, know, what you don't want is where, you know, you, you stopped to water the horses you know, and such, and uh, three of the characters have run off into the wil into the wilderness looking for herbs or things like that. Okay, and leaving like half the party back at you know watching the horses and stuff like that. And the fighter, I'm gonna, I'm just picking on the fighter here. Okay, he, he says, "What do I? I look around. What do I see? I see. Oh well, you know, there's you know there's the banks of the river. You know, there's some trees." some bushes, there's a pile of rocks, you know, over on the side. He says, okay, I pick up a rock and I throw it at, at that pile of rocks. I said, okay, you hit that. And the rocks, you know, some of the rocks fall off. And suddenly a ghostly shape arises from it because it was actually a carn, okay? And uh, it was actually a burial location and you just disturbed its rest. Uh... And now it's coming, coming for you. You got like one round before it, it, it closes with you. Uh, uh, you might want to warn the rest of the party who's there, not the rest of the party who's not there. Yeah. And yeah, I can't believe I was like that. I was so much of a dick like that because <laughs> <laughs> really, I have done that. I have done that. I, I I am ashamed. Well, I mean, there are there are things that you know. It's nice to do that once in a while if to keep your players on your toes, on their toes. Yeah. But if you're constantly doing stuff like that, after a while you end up with that aforementioned unwanted adversary relation. Oh, every time we go out in the wilderness, it's like he's baiting us. You know, it's like. Well, they, they become paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. They get paranoid. They're like, every time we talk to somebody out in the wilderness, you know, it's trouble. Let's just kill them. If we see them, let's just kill them. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it can't be worse. It, it could be better. Yeah, until in between all of the cities, you're finding all these corpses here of just people with swords run through them. Yeah. Yeah, other travelers who just basically uh, are paying the price for your aggression. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, so because they don't know who it was that killed these people, unless of course they've got you know some form of uh, speak with dead and says, oh yeah, he had the, he had this symbol on on his on his shield, and, and they have something to look for, you know. So, but yeah, this <laughs> that well that there you could sit there and do the consequences of actions. That's the GM teaching the the players a bit of a lesson about 
okay, watch what you're doing because everything you do has, you know, there's an equal opposite reaction to every action, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, if, if I had never done it again, then I would say, yeah, you got a point. <laughs> but I, like I said, I, uh, I, I there, there were times, you know, I, I was literally looking for something to break the monotony, give the players who are not out searching for things something to do. And so, of course, they get into a, a, an undead battle. You know, and it's, and I'm like, you know, did I really think that through? Was that an appropriately? Um, or no, what's the old know. thing from the forties? Was this trip really necessary? Yeah. 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 Then, then they're spending a couple hours chasing down the horses, which of course are going to flee from the presence of any undead and so forth. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, uh, yeah. Good times. <laughs> From me, the GM. Right? Well, yeah. Okay. All right, so let's go, um, you know, so we, we talked about these random wilderness encounters that we might run into, okay, but we really haven't talked about what they actually are. Okay, so, uh, you know, and like I said, they probably, you, you know, uh, what I said up at the top uh, was that, you know, you probably should like roll a, you know, if you did, weren't doing this, you'd basically take this list that we're about to go through and you'd like roll a D4 and see, and, and just randomly pick, items from this list okay and say these are the things that you ran into you know and these and this is you know and and if necessary let them make a saving throw for the results in other words a success check yeah. to see the degree of success and then say this is what you learned or didn't learn you know uh or what you gained or lost you know and such you know and you know i, I made this list because i was trying to be make them very specific very separate, you know, uh, so they would be pretty unique, and enough of them so they wouldn't you wouldn't be running across the same ones every time, because you know if the whole campaign is getting from one town to the other, then you got to kind of they're going to look at you going, I thought we were actually supposed to be stopping this great evil overlord somewhere, not trying to actually drag our our, our wounded, you know, uh, injured carcasses to the next town. <laughs> I'm so tired of sleeping outdoors. So, but anyway, so like I said, the first random wilderness encounter that I thought up was wounded animal. Okay, and uh, you know this is an opportunity for you to possibly heal the wounded animal. It may have, you know, it may have an owner. You know, it may be a horse. You know, uh, or it could be an animal that because it's wounded is aggressive. Yeah. You know, it's already backed into a corner in its own mind, and so it's going to attack you no matter what, even if you have spells that, that's supposed to soothe animals and such like that. So that's one possibility where you'd run into a wounded animal. And and um, I, I remember going on camping trips where we literally would turn a corner, and there'd be a bear like 100 feet down the road. And the bear would take a look at us, we'd take a look at the bear, and fortunately the bear turned around and ran off into the woods. Well, the only time that something like a bear and my minimal experience of being out there in the deep wilderness, I would say the only time you're going to get that bear to be angry is if it's eating, it's injured, or it's its offspring are nearby. Right, or it's you know it's 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 made as giving birth or something. Well, like yeah, that. I, I I would chalk, and it needs to it need they're they're, they're they need. To I kind of throw that in with the offspring nearing nearby. It's just they're nearer to the mother than everybody else. Um, but yeah, I would think usually most times 
a lot of animals are more afraid of you than you are of them. Right, right, yeah. And I'm saying that's and that's that's a good opportunity for the people that do have wilderness skills to go and say, hey, you know, I, this is probably not, this isn't really a problem. We could just back up, okay? Or maybe we could do something like, you know, um, light some kind of um, smoke grenade, uh, or uh, or even send off, you know, because we're mixing genres here. You know, send off a uh, a, 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 a a sonic horn. Yeah, the you know, air horn, yeah. The air horn, and that was, most things get scared yeah, when you do that. Yeah. They just turn around and go off, right? So, and then you wait, you know, wait a couple of minutes to make sure they really have gone off, okay, and then proceed. Okay, it's just a little encounter. It, it, they can make it into a, it can be a big deal. Hopefully, you know, hopefully it's not. It's, it's mostly there just to say, hey, something happened. Okay, so that was, okay, that was the first thing I ran. I'm reminded of the whole meme of, instead of swerving to avoid hitting a squirrel, you saved this bear from being injured and you are in your darkest hour. And it's the, and the meme is of the picture in a squirrel and plate mail, but it's the same thing. This bear, this bear remembered when you saved it. It is, it has a life death now. It now is here to help you in your time of need. And there's the bear all decked out in like, you know, sky armor, like they did in the, metal claws on its claws and barding and all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that bear you saved back at first level? You're at 15th now. And that bear remembers the, the service you did to it. You now. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, it's quite possible that an animal that, you know, like a, if it was a dog or something, something that was a pack animal, you know, it might very well adopt you, you know, and, and hang with your party from yeah. that point on. Oh, it's a good excuse for those rangers or druids or whatever to have an animal companion or maybe even a familiar for the wizard if the rules allow. Yeah. Sure. Sure. All those things are yep. good. Yeah. And I'm saying, so it's, it's like I said, it, it, it's up to the GM and the players to make of it as they will. Okay. Um, uh, what's another option? A patch of plant life to. Again, this goes back to the example I said earlier about, oh, these are the berries that, you know, this town that you just left picks and these berries make the best pies and this town is world known for these pies. And yeah, or it could be a medicinal plant patch. And then again, you have your foragers and survivalists and naturalists. You give them their time to shine. Oh, this plant patch! Mm-hmm. I can make five healing potions out of this. Hey, I'm we're gonna right. be here. Watch our backs. Make your survival checks. Yeah, yeah. A lot of plants they bloom at certain times, not and and not the rest of the year. So it literally could be random. It could be like you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, the weather conditions, and you and it's produced something that you find of interest or of value. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Uh, one thing you might run into is an abandoned or active mining site. And when I say that, I'm not talking about like, you know, the the the, the, the five mile across, you know, copper pit mining thing that's off someplace. I don't know where it is, you know, that they always show pictures of saying that, you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's someone like, you know, mining the stuff for, for uh, uh, car batteries. No, that's a copper mine. <laughs> You know, lithium mines look entirely different. All I, all I, all I hear is Alan Rickman from uh, 
Galaxy Quest is Sam Rockwell. Miners, not miners. Yeah. Right, but see, the thing is that it could also it could also be maybe a place where somebody was panning for gold. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so uh, and and especially if, you know because that would be along a waterway. That's where all the gold oh, yeah, is found. Yeah. You know, and and they might be hiding. You know, you coming along. You know, you're close to their claim. They don't want anyone to know that. The, the, and we don't we don't want none of them. Their claim jumpers coming in. We're gonna shoot to kill. Yeah. Right, so you're they're hiding, you know, they're hiding, getting their weapons ready, and you could come in, you look around, you see like this campsite or whatever, and you if you leave it alone, you know, it might be fine. But if you go in there, you might they might end up having to defend it. So yeah. You know. Bruce, do you remember the old HBO series Dream On? Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm getting like that, it seems, in my old age. All I'm all you're we're talking about this and all I hear is Walter Brennan. Yeah, we're sitting at a gold mine. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Walter Brennan was a staple of of, of like you know, 40s and 50s a lot of, movies. Yeah. A lot of shows I oh, saw. Oh yeah, yeah, too, yeah, yeah. But just so you're talking about this mining and oh, and I Saturday morning, oh, you know, they had a lot of westerns oh, when, I, where I grew I, up. And I just went to that dark place where Walter Brennan was mentioned in Good Morning Vietnam. Ugh, yeah. Okay. Anyways, the next thing on this list, yeah. Um, some body of water that you have to cross. That could be a river, a lake, a swamp, anything where there's water involved and you have to either get through it. It it could also be a crevasse. It could just be a break in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of those around. Oh yeah. You know, and if you have wagons, you know, you're like, uh, how am I going to get this across? I can't just wander. I mean, I can't just wander across a fallen tree log. Yeah, and carrying stuff would take too long, and those logs aren't always sturdy. Yeah. Um, oh, no, it's a wonderful obstacle because you either have go, I mean, ultimately you have go around it, go across it, depending on the magic or tech you have, or go over it. Yeah. Yeah, and and they're common enough that, like I said, this would be a good random wilderness kind of thing for you to deal with. You know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It just could be just something. And again, they're they're learning about the lands. You know, that oh, there's a river that that crosses the the road between here and there. And why are we not going across a bridge? Well, maybe the bridge is out. You know, is it is the bridge out because there was a sudden storm and the or is the bridge out because it was burned to the ground by uh, unfriendly natives? Or is the bridge out because uh, somebody is? Um, you know, uh, there's bandits nearby, yeah. and they, uh, you know, they they don't, you know, yeah. Maybe there was a maybe there was a troll, and somebody didn't pay the toll. <laughs> it's like, I mean, uh, maybe the troll's there, and he could be helpful. He says, "Yeah, you pay me the toll, and I'll carry your stinking wagon across the across the crevasse or across the river." And you're like, "Well, okay then. That well, that's sounds like a fair that, deal." Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, how much you asked it for? Uh, 10 gold per, you know, per wagon. You got three wagons. And you're like, 30 gold? We've got like 50,000 gold worth of stuff on, on our wagons? That yeah, I, be... think, I think we can let go of that little bit of gold to get us on our way. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you know. Now, if you say you know everything you have, then 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 that's where you, you, he says, "Okay, get to the other side." Then you fight him on the other side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You agree to it, and then when he gets it on the other side, that's when you fight him out with him. So yeah, there's lots of things you. So you know, these can be all kinds of different things. Okay. Uh, again, you could run across a hunting party, or uh, you know, or it could be you know an ambush, you know, or any. You know, you know, that's where they they had uh, all those reaction rolls. You, know, you roll dice and and see whether they like you or they don't like you. You know, and and of course if they're bandits and they like you, then you're like looking around the party, going, okay, all right. So which one of you guys is the thieves guild again? <laughs> says, did you give, did you give did you give the little handy single over on the side? You know, the little you know finger. The finger twisty thing that told them that you were we were like you know says the pal <laughs> yeah you know the pal's not happy about it they're all like oh we're okay fine you, know, you guys are all right in our book and they all go off and you're like i don't know i feel i don't i feel dirty <laughs> so yeah you can have lots of fun with that okay you know um and of course you know uh honey parties make perfect sense you know if you have natives outside they're going oh yeah through, Looking, looking for food, you know, they you know, support their their village, right? And then I, I and then I mentioned uh, about the Karn. <laughs> you find you know, how you know, are you going to make that religion check and realize that's actually uh, a grave, or are you just going to think that's some kind of a uh, some rock pile, uh, yeah. or, or or a direction marker, or a border of a. Uh, Maybe you're, it's, it's the border of some noble's land and this means something. Or maybe that tells you that there's a tribe some distance away. If you don't make that, that religion check or that wilderness check, you may not know what, what the significance of that Karn is. Okay? And if you disturb it, generally speaking, disturbing Karns is always a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Just because you know someone put it, put, went to the effort of putting it up. So, yeah. Anyways, what else can there be? An altar or some other religious, um, maybe a small shrine set to a nature god, or you turn it. Oh, no. Oh, perfect example. Oh, uh, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, where Indy comes up on that vine covered rock and it's got the skulls all inset in and there's blood all over it and everything. That where the natives all run and he tells Willie and short round to stay back. I would count that as an altar type thing. Some, some edifice of religious importance, small or large. Yes. Right. And again, making your religion check tells you what kind what God it's to. And if it's a God you approve of, then you might make a sacrifice of some kind to the god, and the god might approve of you and give you a bonus that your next uh, to to what happens with your next encounter. So it could be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, not just a role play thing. It actually could have a tactical advantage. And if it is destroyed or sac, you know, um, uh, desecrated. Yeah, yeah. Then when you get to the next town, maybe you need to go to that church and say, "Hey, we were 
someplace and there was a, a little shrine to your God and it's been desecrated. And they're like, okay, we, we're going to have to get a group of, of uh, you know, priests together and get out there and get that fixed up again because, you know, that's, that's important. And uh, at which point they may say, and, you know, you know where it is, so we will hire you to take us back there and, and do yeah. that. So you, you have, you have a little, little side quest for you to go and do, uh, maybe make a little extra money there. Um, and up to, it's up to the G and the, if the GM doesn't want to make a big deal about it, it's kind of like you agree to it. And the GM says, okay, you made 50 gold pieces off of that. It took you a day. A day and a half. Everybody else is busy doing other things, but that's what you did for the last day. And you're like, oh, okay. Because I just did that in my our fifth edition. They uh, The GM said to me, you're an expert in alchemical research, and they're trying to set up an alchemical lab in this town. So you could go and help them. And I said, I would be glad to do that. And I go in there, and I figure out that they're doing things wrong and I tell them the right way of doing it. I even go and make them some equipment that'll keep their equipment going until the right equipment can be ordered to replace the equipment that they have that is substandard. And uh, now I've got this great rep in the town for being, you know, an alchemical guy. And everybody else did something else. And I just basically sat there and, you know, just, you know, did something else for the hour that they were all doing their part of the adventure. But it made sense for my character to do that, and so I did. And your character can, you know, characters can do that too, all based upon what you did as a follow-up. You could have just said, just gone to town and I never mentioned it. You know, and in which case it is literally a random encounter. You, you saw it, you see somebody doesn't like this god. Okay, so maybe that's important, maybe it isn't. And you can do with that information as you wish. It's just... It's just it's, it's maybe it's just there as flavor text, yeah. but maybe it actually has has or can have significance to your ongoing uh, goals and such. So yeah, because all these random encounters, as I said, they they all can uh, if you design them ahead of time, then you should certainly consider the effects if they do certain things. You know, so that you're not making it up on the spot. You know, and you know that that who in the town that you're going to would be interested in that knowledge, if anybody. So, all right. So what else we got? Oh, let's see. A Let's say you're walking along and you find the ground has been disturbed and you see, you know, you, you get the ground and mess up. You realize, oh, somebody put something here. And it's like a cache of supplies. Like, oh, they put a backpack full of, you know, healing potions here or survival equipment or you even find a well there in the wilderness now a well that would usually mean now a cache of supplies that can be just something hidden in like again a pile of rocks that would look like a cairn and you would just expect oh it's a cairn we must not disturb that that's a and that would be a kind of a smart way for especially in like a fantasy campaign they see a cairn they know not to disturb it they know what it is but if you find like a well, usually wells are signs that there were a village there at one time, or there was some type of um, habitation, permanent, once permanent habitation there. Well, not necessarily. If you're traveling on established roads between one location and another, every so often you've got to water those animals. So maybe somebody 
you know, uh, dug a well here because this was the appropriate distance from the last place that you could have watered your animals. Okay, so that might have been something put up between one of the two settlements that that road connects might have put that there is a service to travelers. Yeah, because usually if you're out in the wilderness, you're going to be just, oh, look, I hear a river nearby. Let's water our horses and fill our canteens. Yeah. Yeah, if that a well is there, that would probably mean one of the two settlements did it as a as a courtesy, as it were. Right. Well, a lot of times, I mean, if you if you read the Bible, okay, uh, in 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 the early books, especially Genesis, okay, um, Abraham and Isaac and those people, a lot of times they. Uh, what they did is is that when something good or bad happened to them, they would dig a well to commemorate it. So you know, and it would be, and they would, and that that well would be called this, referring to the thing that happened to them. Okay, and uh, it was there as a as a blessing to all other travelers who might come along, but it also acted as a remembrance. So every time that the family ever came along and saw that well, there was a story to be told. Ah. And it just reinforced the family history. Um, and, of course, it gave glory to God because you actually, God blessed you and you turn around and you do something oh, okay. to actually show your appreciation. So, yeah, I mean, th there's lots of reasons. You know, Digging a well is almost always a good thing. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not one of those, you know, it's, and, but, of course, if there's a well there, that means there could be other people there, you know, uh, at the well getting the water. And that could be a good, bad thing. You know, it could, that's also up to the GM to say, hey, do I to want to create a, you know, a situation where there's a there's already a, a group there that are saying, no, nah, you got to wait till we finish, you know, uh, which would be normal, polite thing to do. But if you think you're full of everything, you're like, no, 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 we'll just come in here and grab a couple of you know buckets or whatever. I mean, who knows? You know, it's, it could be a place where people are literally staying the night in the wilderness, or it could be a some a, some shelters that have been built near to the well or such. You know, but the uh, the cache of supplies. I actually thought about that from a movie, uh, a post-apocalyptic movie. It was called um, uh, Year Zero: okay. Panic in the Year Zero. Ray Milan, uh, uh, but. Bobby Darren? I don't remember. He was a young, young guy at the time. Okay. Anyways, it's uh, uh, this this guy is basically, you know, the bombs drop, and he's trying to get his family off to this cabin in the woods where he, they think they're going to be okay. And they get to the cabin, and at which point he says, okay, we need to take our supplies and split them into like 10, I think it was 10, but maybe six different amounts Okay, and we're going to go and take each of those supplies and we're going to bury them as caches. All right, and the reason is is because if someone, if we keep it all at the house, somebody might come in and take everything we have. We have nothing to fall back on. But also, it means that if you're out there in the woods and someone runs up and threatens you, okay, Rather than you getting into a firefight with them, you say you can surrender and say, "Don't kill me. I know where there's some. I know where there's a cache of supplies." Yeah, yeah. And then you go and lead them to a cat, one of the caches. Okay, knowing that that where you lead them is going to be directly in line of one of our lookouts. So we'll see 
that there's a bunch of people with you and then we can come behind them and take them out and give you give you a chance you know uh that and it was basically it was it was a tactical way of protecting the supplies that were really necessary and also giving you a way of of bribing you know for your life from people and some people might have been like okay fine I'm, I'm, we're good we're leaving you know we we needed some stuff you gave it to us you know there's no you know, uh we're not going to kill you <laughs> and just leave and you're just standing there like we take your guns and your weapons and we just leave you there in the wilderness with your now empty or depleted cache of equipment and you're like okay fine so then and then you go over and you to another cache and you get yourself re-equipped and uh you know and then you decide what you're going to do about those people whether you're going to you know follow follow up and 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 get your stuff back or just chalk it up to uh Good planning, but ba but bad experience. I mean, and if they don't kill you, you know, you might say, you know, they do have some sense of honor. So, you know, it's just, there's a lot of opportunities there with, you know, and the cash and supplies could be more than just something that you find, you just happen across, you know, uh, just a, a backpack that's just literally just fell off the back of a horse when they were running away from a wounded bear. You know what I'm saying? It could just be that. But it could be, you know, you could do more with yeah. it. It's up to you, the, the player, the GM. Yeah. So, yeah, a cash of supplies or a well, those are, those are uh, a good choice there. Okay. To me as a GM, one of the fun things to do is run them into suspicious NPCs. Because, you know, they're, they're there. They're look, they see you as a threat. You're like, we're not a threat. We're just regular everyday people. And they're like, how oh, do we know that? You know. Meanwhile, it's deflecting from the fact that they're just as just as sketchy as probably, you know, unless, of course, they've got, like, huge wagon train with them. But they're a small, just, a, you know, a, a guy with his family and a, and a wagon, a covered wagon, and he's going to the next town. Yeah. Let's say he's a tinker, whatever like that. He's a merchant. He's looking at you guys with your armor and your, you know, iron stones and your funny hats and, and, and weird animal companions stalking around them. They're like, you know... It, it's a, it can be a fun role-play experience as long as you don't, like, bring out all the tired tropes. And, hey, maybe uh, maybe they'll actually have something you need if you can get on good will. Maybe you can buy a wife mm. or a husband because yeah, that's yeah. a thing in cultures. And then all of a sudden now you just, you just basically married yourself into a, into a merchant family. After the Industrial Revolution, you had the merchant and artisan class where it wasn't nobility or the or what we would call the 2% or the 1% today, but you still were no longer a peasant. If you married into a merchant or artisan's family, they had a reasonable amount of money. You weren't, yeah, middle. it was what we now would know today as the middle class. They're really, they're actually taxpayers. And so if they sat there, if you were, you know, a peasant and you, you know, a peasant adventurer and you found, oh, the, the cute girl in the, mer in the caravanserai and you marry and now your father is one of the, guess what? You just married into a reasonable amount of money. And also because these caravan, am I saying that right? Caravanserai? Caravan with the S-E-R-I-A at the end? 
I don't know. I've never heard it like I, that. I remember seeing it in Forgotten Realms because there's like up in the northern reaches there near Rashomon, there was um, caravans that go and they're heading over to Karatur and everything. Okay. And I guess... There's there's the people that are the... Um, okay. you know, Please forgive me for using the word gypsy because I don't remember the correct word Roma, right now. The Roma. The Roma. Thank you. The Roma... You know, they, they traveled in like a collection of three and four uh, wagons at a time, you know, until yeah. they got together, you know, and so... I think, okay, okay, Caravanserai, okay, I think I remember what it is. Caravanserai is a meeting of caravans. It's like, oh, these four or five caravans have been traveling across the plains or the buttes or the, you know, the steppes, and they meet together to trade information and maybe, oh, do you have some extra rations? We'll give you extra water. Yeah. But you still marry. Yeah, let's let's fix that wagon wheel. <laughs> right. Yeah, and we have the tools for it. So you know, you'll still if if you're an adventurer and you find the you know the the mute the merchants the mutant, that's something different. That's yeah, the merchant's cute daughter. And you get into that family, they've got knowledge of the lands all wherever they go. They'll tell you about oh over in this city. Three days travel by wagon to the north, there's this here, and four days dra you know, travel to the south, there's this here. And so you become in the know because you're now the son-in-law. And, of course, back in the day, and we don't condone this here in Gaming on the Frontier, women were considered property chattel to be married off into a decent family. Oh, oh, daughter of mine, you've been married into this wonder. you've been married to my wonderful son-in-law here who is a hardy fighter and he's well-traveled and he knows, you know, people who could, you know, help guard our caravans in dangerous territory. And all of a sudden your friends are going, you dragged us into what? Yeah. So, yeah. So I care merchants because of it, like either in a fantasy campaign or if they're fringe traveling, they know things they, you know, it, it's like my one gamer, Sven of the Lemming, Steve Day, would say, I know this guy, you know. Right. Yeah, and they know a lot Well, of you know, Indiana Jones, his his friend, okay, that was a very sketchy merchant that later on you found out was a really stand-up guy. Oh, uh, Sala? Yeah, oh, Sala. I love but Sala. But when you first meet him, when you first meet him, he's really sketchy. Well, and you can tell he had the the connections to his brother-in-law. With the car. This is my brother-in-law's car, Indy. <laughs> oh, my brother-in-law, as the, as the flaming tires rolling by. <laughs> oh, my brother-in-law's not going to be happy. <laughs> I said four. I said no, Campbells. You brought four. I'm sorry, Indy. Compensation for my brother-in-law's car. You know, yeah. I'm so glad he's going to be in that final movie. Yes. Um, oh, oh, good. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. Happening upon a merchant can have good or bad connotations. You could either find that he just thinks you're a group of brigands and you either have to just try to get away from him or prove yourself. Or if he's a trustworthy merchant, gold mine of information, who knows? One of your players might get, you know, a cute merchant son or a merchant son, depending. We, we don't judge here. A child of the merchant that if you marry into the family, you have new connections. Yeah. Well, when I said suspicious merchant, I actually meant a merchant that was sketchy. Okay. 
you know, he says, you know, what, what, you know, what are you, what are you selling, Mister Merchant? Oh, you know, knickknacks, things, whatever, you know. And then you fit, find out that you know he's basically, you know, I, I'm take, I'm, you know, uh, I'm taking all these children to an orphanage, but you know, it's, it's actually wow. slavery. Yeah. Uh, another thing we don't condone here, by the way. Just, yeah. Um. No. It. It's. It's. Yeah. It, finding something like that. Oh no, that could turn to a full blown arc there because basically you're stopping a child slavery ring which of course then would help you in the communities around there it's like oh no this person who's kidnapped our children and you would see all the children running back home like in temple of doom yeah just yeah it, it that would help you gain credit in the immediate area because you stopped this guy who was kidnapping all our little babies and right but you know maybe he's a fence you know, maybe what he's doing is he's taking all the illicitly stolen goods from the town that you're going to and taking it to the other town where he can sell it, you know, you know, basically clean as clean items. And he might he might have a you know, you might like, you know, you have a lot of, you know, expensive and, uh, you know, uh, and varied items in here, sir. <laughs> You know, in your in your wagon, <laughs> or or he might think that you're a good good person to uh, unload some of those items onto, and then you go into town displaying that piece of jewelry, that ring, or whatever like that, and all of a sudden you're getting arrested for being part of this uh, this this thievery group, and and he's on his way. So you you can use these guys to 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 do any kinds of thing you know there's actually a, a whole bunch of them here we got the suspicious merchant we got the apparently trustworthy merchant we have other bands of travelers we have a military patrol which well it, it depends on the area that you're going you could have a military patrol because oh the lands are dangerous here and we're trying to protect travelers that are here or they could be a military patrol that is yeah, they're a military patrol, but they're shaking people down to gain <clears throat> extra tolls for the road, let's say. Yeah. that Which, depending upon where you're at, may be completely uh, approved of by the, the, the nearby lords. Yeah, in other words, that's how they gain <clears throat> extra money. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um. Yeah, and it's just the military patrol could also be a sign. That's another way to let your players know about information about the setting. Oh, wait a minute. This is the third military patrol we've reached on in this, you know, 20 stretch, 20 mile stretch of land between these two settlements. Okay, if they if this if this well patrolled, there's something going on out here. Yeah, that would usually smart players will see, wait a minute, this is the third patrol we've seen in this trip between these two towns. Something's going on here. No road through just forest is this well patrolled unless there's something going down. And yeah, maybe there's an uprising in the middle of happening and you just have to be on the road. Right. And so these military patrols are going to be kind of what would be an appropriate current itchy trigger fingers on them crossbows. Those swords will always be, you know, ready to be drawn at a moment's notice because they're going to think you might be part of whatever it is they're hunting. And you know, we're just simple travelers, officer. We don't mean to start trouble. We're just trying to get to your town over there. Oh, we see you have a herald 
your your herald on your shield is the same as we know as the flags from the town. So yes, we're trying to get to the safety of your town. Well, good job, you know, protecting the roads there, officer. Yeah. But no, it military patrols, yeah, that can tell a lot of things depending on the frequency, the attitude, the armament. Oh, if they're just like, yeah, they have, you know, maybe a sword. Okay, that's just self-defense. But if these guys are, as they say, loaded for bear, and all of you out there should know what I, if you're loaded for bear, you know what that means. It's you, you're, what, what's it, bristling with weapons. If you're seeing a military patrol and they're bristling with weapons, okay, they're looking for something. They do have the itchy trigger fingers. They're, they'll shoot, or what, what's the, the Wild Wild West? Shoot, shoot first, shoot again, shoot some more. And if anybody's alive, try to get some questions answered. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it military patrol can be very telling about the area you're in. And again, it gives flavor to your environment. The setting, your game world. Yeah. And of course, uh, an unexpected source of information could be a courier. Okay, yeah, that could fit in with military patrol because they'd still be in the service of whoever runs the settlement they're going from or to. Yeah, so courier, and it's like, I mean, if you really finagle a diplomacy check, well, he might tell you what it is that, yeah, what is it you're trying to, that you're delivering here? It could be of importance, and, oh, it's a secret message to the Duke and the village to the north. Well, you know, we're traveling these roads, and we'd like to know what's going on. I mean, if there's something, you know, it's like, you know, can we make it, you know, worth your time, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the other things I had were just basically things, you know, to, to just more or less add more mystery and excitement, you know, just uh, to, to your journey. Yeah. So, for example, unexpected sounds or signals, you know, you're hearing something or you're seeing smoke in the distance and, you know, maybe that's nothing. Maybe that's uh, a, a group that's this you know, uh, set up camp some distance away. You don't have to go over there and deal with it. it you see it. Yeah. But, you know, it might mean something if you ask, talk to somebody like that patrol or once you get to town. And uh, that's where the GM basically can tell you, since he has these planned, you know, later on, he, you know, if you decide to go and search out and, 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 and again, use your survival check to, just, you know, or your your uh, you know your scouting check or whatever skill you want to use. Send your drones out and uh, see what's over there. Uh, there could be sudden bad weather, uh, or, uh, tornadoes, heavy storms, hail, blizzards, things like that. They, I mean, you know, in in a lot of situations, especially in a medieval or a wilderness type of thing, these things can come out of nowhere. And, let's, and, of course, the, the cl most classic thing that happens is you're going along and suddenly, you know, you hear a rumbling sound and there's a flash flood. And that's a really horrendous thing that can happen to your group if you get caught in that. But, uh, or you can have a, quote, heavenly encounter, glowing lights in the sky, you know, a god appears. Okay, um, ghostly figures dancing in the in the in the fog. 
I mean, just stuff to go and say, wow, there's some weirdo stuff going on over here. I wonder what... Or, or in the case of Fringeworthy, it'd be something like the size Storm or the, the Storm of Frogs or, yeah, if we want to put that... Next. Lights in the yeah. Sky, you know, the, Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, you, those are those are all things that can happen, and they always seem to happen in wilderness type situations. You know, they never happen in the middle of a city. Right? Yeah, where where it's hard to verify with other people other than the six of you saying, "Oh no, there was this rain of frogs on our way here." Yeah, sure, there was. Yeah, I I I remember you know in the Scholastic Book Club getting a book of all these weird things that were supposedly re true stories documented. Okay, you know, like a uh, huge carpet of caterpillars that literally c covered like an acre, and then the next day they were gone, and nobody knew what ever happened to them. There were, as a matter of fact, that was the premise for a movie which was called Squirm. <laughs> okay, all right. And they they were they they these were very scary worms. They actually you know had like the ability to bite and yeah, burrow. Yeah, no, no, just yeah, not yeah. And then of course you know the uh, there could be a fire you know uh, in the woods around. You're having to deal with the fire. Even if you don't have to deal with the fire as a heat thing, the smoke might make it very hard to breathe. Please refer to our previous episodes from way back about um, disasters. Yeah, because I think I did the one for fire. Either me or Blix did. I forget. But I think Blix did flood. Yeah, I did fire then. Okay, yeah. But refer to those episodes way back when. Go back on the Podbean site and search for how to deal with a forest fire or a flash fire or flood or some natural occurrence. In a scenario, yes. Or you could have an equipment breakdown, like a wagon, you know, breaking. The aforementioned wagon wheel, yeah, yeah. Or um, traces might break on horses. You know, your saddle might literally fall off the horse with you on it. Okay, you know, unless you're proficient in bareback riding, you might have a really hard time, you know. And not only mention, you, you have saddlebags and things like that. You really need to fix yeah. that. Okay, Uh uh just, you know, any, any number of, of, of small things that happened. Just, you know, uh, it, it doesn't have to be a tragedy. You know, it's, but it's, it's in the list of where it basically stops you. It, you, know, you. You basically have to deal with the situation in some way and then move on, you know. And yeah. it might be as simple as uh, saying, okay, fine, you know, our wagon broke. Uh, we're going to go and cut down a couple of branches from some nearby trees and make what's called a travoy, you know, and, and just, oh, yeah. and, and to put our goods in that and let our, let our horses drag those behind us on the road. And that's a perfectly okay way of doing things. Or, um, you know, to, to follow up on the, the Russian thing, you know, uh, in Russia, they didn't have good roads. Okay. Uh, they didn't use wheels. On their uh, on their conveyances. <laughs> in Soviet Russia, good roads have you. Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know what they used? Mm. Probably those travois or close. They, they use they use sleds. They had oh, you know yeah 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 you know yeah. big curly thing going down underneath you know uh, 
you know, it was basically they were giant sleighs. And even if it was if it was summertime, wintertime, they they just had the horses pull it along and it slid, you know, because it was wide and, and you know, they, it, it wouldn't sink too far down into the mud. I mean, it, you know, in muddy times, you know, these were better to travel along than, uh, than the... Uh, uh, than wheels because wheels would rut, wheels would get caught in yeah. chuck holes and things like that. They and they would break while um, you know, and then of course it, you know in the winter time it still works on the snow. Can't you know really use wheels on snow? Um, so it, it was a better solution for them. As a matter of fact, the few really good what they would call good roads, they're not good roads. They're actually um, they were like areas that were the, the main routes between towns. And so what they would do is that the people who were walking, okay, or uh, they would walk on the left or right side of this pretty wide, about the size of a, a, a modern interstate. Okay. Okay, you know, with the, with the area in between being the, you know, the, the, the grassy area that collects water and stuff like that. Well, that grassy area is where the the slaves would go. So they're just zooming along with you know their uh, with their horses or whatever uh, oxen dragging stuff along through the middle, and the people have to be on the outside, and they and it's, and it's their responsibility for getting out of the way of these these slaves. <laughs> They'll just thunder on through, and you know it's 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 literally is is like you know slaves in the middle, people on the outside. If you mix, it's not the slaves problem. Yeah, <laughs> or the horses problem, and they, they there was there was there was some you know pretty vicious stuff about that, but you know, and that's how it was. Um, so I'm just saying is that you know you if you break a, a bunch of wheels on your wagon, you could replace them with actual runners, so that you could just drag. You might go a lot. It might be only going half the speed you were going before, but I'll bet you'd get there. Yeah. Depending upon how much weight we're talking about, such you know, so yeah, and of course, if you run into a bunch of ice elementals, you could very well have winter suddenly occur. Oh yeah, and you, oh, and you might need yeah. those sleighs. <laughs> yeah, just. All right. Well, that's all I have. That's a, that's a, a total of sixteen items. So if you roll a d4, your chances are only getting two or three of that in any particular journey. So, you know, I think that's a, a fair amount of diversity. And as a and that way you, you know, as as a GM have a few of these things around so that you can just easily put them in, you know, where necessary. Again, assuming that you want to track this this stuff. And if you don't want to track the individual occurrences, you say, "Well, these things happened and let's make some rolls and Okay, this is how it worked out. You know, it took you longer to get there, or you made a couple of friends, or you now have a uh, uh, a line on a uh, uh, child slavery ring in the town you're from because of this sketchy person that you interrogated outside of town and ended up releasing. Oh, and by the way, you now have like a dozen kids all on your on your wagons as you bring them in because you basically uh, uh, defeated him and uh, and his guards. Uh, such as they were, and uh, and the, and the families all want to adopt you. <laughs> and oh you no! Can... See, that's the thing. You have an entire town now who loves you because you brought back their little babies. Oh no! You'll get some. You'll get the softest beds. You'll get the best cooked food. You. Um. How did the comedian? 
to paraphrase the Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov. You save children in village from child slavery ring. You got friends for life. They look at you and say, you all come back now, you hear? Yeah. Um, they will just treat you as kings. You gave them back their... They'll, they'll marry their sons and daughters off to you, like I mentioned. You could, yeah, yeah. That just means now these little kids all become your brothers and sisters-in-law. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yes. <laughs> Went from rescuer to family. Yeah, just cute, cute, fast and curious. When you open that in, you know, off in that far distance town, suddenly someone, somebody who needs an apprenticeship comes knocking on your door. And it's your brother-in-law from back in the day, yeah. Brother-in-law's uh, kid. Yeah, yeah. His eldest son, you know, uh, that need or eldest daughter who needs to uh, learn how to be a uh, Who's going to bring that home family recipes with her, ah, so she yes. doesn't? So she doesn't? You know, she's not bringing nothing to the bargain, you know. And but she also needs to learn about this more cosmopolitan fare that they teach and that they serve in the cities. So now you have an opportunity of adding new exciting exciting elements to your your uh, menu that you didn't have before, oh, and yeah. and you and you have a. Uh, somebody to tell you lots and lots of stories about what's happened with the family ever since you left them, so possibly quite a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, and then of course you're going to have the the responsibility of uh, of, of finding a suitable um, uh, uh, spouse for for that son or daughter that you that family relationship because you know you're the yeah you're basically the 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 family representative now in your town because they're there. So you got that going for you too. Yeah. So, and some people are going uh, to run away and some people are going to think that's the greatest thing that ever happened. Yeah. Now I get to plan a wedding. I mean, this is I, think I've, I think I've actually GM'd a wedding twice. And the thing was my GM PC was the groom. It was um, my gamer Amber, who I have, done romantic relationships and games with before and it was cool we're sitting there in game prepping among us we're actually okay no this episode despite it being a post-apocalyptic setting we're planning a wedding okay your character's the best man major yeah no and it was a blast because the characters were kind of mary sue versions of myself and amber so it was a lot of us and it was just, okay, I want this song. No, no, but not by this art. She's not a fan of Metallica. We wanted Nothing Else Matters. Oh, look, the the world went to crap in 2012. Okay, somebody did a cover of Nothing Else Matters. And we're researching this. We're sending pictures of, okay, this is the tux my character wear. This is the dress her character wear. We're doing all this. So it's kind of cool if you can, you know, as we say, get involved with family, NPC family. You become family yourself. And you get to do these things. And it's kind of cool because, you know, it it's, in my experience, two things about having women in your role-playing group. One, they're more plot-driven. Excuse me. And two, there are other times they're, 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 excuse me, ooh, more hack and slash than the guys at your table, but also give this gives them the chance to add that little extra tweak of 
real life into because they get to act out fantasies. You know, you have the, the, the Cinderella wedding thing, you know, where everybody wants, you know, the white dress at this and all that. Yeah. And it was a really good chance because the other women in the group, who I think one of them was Perky, got, oh, I want to wear this dress to the wedding. And so she was, um, oh, God, I forget her character. Chaco Kitsune. Gina came, found out this wonderful Japanese apparel for, and I'm just like, oh, I've unleashed a monster with this scenario. But yeah, it just, if you get in good with like the merchant's family or a local's family while traveling through wilderness, this is another role-playing opportunity because then everybody gets involved. And if you got something like, oh, like, uh, Z and Jeff and I, we all do like Discord and I'll do Skype. Oh no, we're on we're on finding our various things and putting them in the chats and all this. Oh no, it's a wonderful example if just we use the merchant examples. It's a really good thing to get every everybody gets spotlight time because they want to be involved. You're not gonna have a player going, you know, I don't want to be involved with this wedding. I'm just gonna sit outside. No, because they'll get involved. And if it's by the player. Uh, let's say, for example, you have a player who has profession cook. Let's say you got a halfling, and, and the general consensus that halflings are decent cooks and bakers. You'll get that one guy who goes, oh, no, I just found your wedding cake here. Let me put it in the chat. So something like that with finding some NPC on the road during a wilderness interlude, we'll call it. It, it has the chance to bring up some really cool role-playing opportunities. Because if you marry that merchant, or if you find that, that, that strange animal in the forest, or, and it becomes your, you know, your companion, you can sit there and find something online for it. It gives you a chance to really put some oomph into your game because of this little side trip. And it could become much, but much more important later on in a myriad of ways. Let's put it that way. And it's just when when you started mentioning about merchants and the connections you can make, oh no, I just it brought back all of these memories of the last uh, Maze World arc that we did. And that was the one where we plotted the wedding. Yeah. Right, and and please uh, reference uh, our previous episodes on being a merchant, uh, and uh, using using being a merchant as a means of uh, scouting uh, the land and the area around you, uh, because there were a lot of good ideas having to do with these relationships as a you know that you enter into with uh, with other merchants. Oh yeah, because if you're a merchant, the one thing you have is the gift of gab. If you want to be a good merchant, you have to know how to, I guess, schmooze would be the term. And that means you find out everything. You find out about lands far away. You find out about people. You find about, oh, what's this noble doing with his mistress over there? Well, how do you know? Well, yeah, I have a friend of mine who sells him the... <clears throat> Various aphrodisiacs he uses with this particular mistress. Yeah, I mean, you can just find all sorts of stuff with this and just, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, yeah. Okay. Wilderness travel 
if you think it's a bore and you don't and your players don't want to have anything to do with it, you can still make it you know substantial to your campaign uh, by using the steps that we had for minimizing it. But if you if you want to embrace it, then we've given you a whole lot of ideas about uh, things you can do to make interesting encounters in the wilderness without making them seem repetitive and using them as a staging. Uh, for the encounters that you're going to have in the place that they're actually going to. So uh, we hope you uh, guys are going to uh, uh, appreciate all this and uh, you're going to use it. And if you do, uh, please uh, post in our Facebook groups, uh, fans of Gaming on the Frontier, uh, and uh, let us know how, how it worked out for you and some of the cool stuff you did. Because we love uh, Tales from the Tables. Oh, I like that term. I like that term. It's a it's a term they use for the uh, 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 mail page in uh, Knights of the Dinner Table, the comic book. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, we hope you uh, uh, enjoyed this. I uh, had some fun listening to it, and uh, we'll have more for you next week. But you'll have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. You can listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on DementiaRadio.org. Also, the Professor and I are each now on Twitch. For me, it's twitch.tv slash trav31369, Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern with campaign notes. The Professor is at twitch.tv slash Professor Pixie. Please check her page for time and date.